Happy Nurses Week to all the nurses and future nurses listening. To celebrate, I'm having a 20% off sale on Study Sesh. This is my private podcast that features over 140 episodes to help you study on the go. Formats include pod quizzes, power hour deep dives, drills, and case studies. If you're tired of sitting at your desk or staring at a screen, but still want to review for nursing school, it's time to check out Study Sesh. Go to straightanursingstudent.com and click on Courses in that top menu bar. That's straightanursingstudent.com and click on Courses in the menu bar. See you there. again, everybody. This is Nurse Mo and welcome back to the Straight A Nursing Podcast. This is episode 109. And today we are talking pharmacology and we'll be talking about a really cool intervention called Heliox. So before we get into that, it is time to do a quick listener Shout out. I love so much when you guys leave your reviews on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. I get them, I read them all, and I add them to this list so that I can personally shout out to you and say thank you so much. So this one is from Pixel Petunia. That's absolutely adorable, by the way, who says, I used this podcast when I was in RN school as a way to reinforce what was taught in class during my commutes and downtime. Now that I'm preparing for NCLEX, I am using it to supplement and break the monotony of so many practice questions. This is an awesome and free resource for any nurse, no matter where they are in their academic or career path. I agree, right? So thank you so much for sharing that. What I love so much about nursing is that we're always students. We're not just students when we're in school. We are constantly, constantly always learning. So I'm glad that you find it helpful as you prepare for your NCLEX, and I wish you the very best of luck on your exam. You please send me an email and let me know when you pass so that I can congratulate you again on the podcast. Okay, so like I said, today we're talking about Heliox. So it's not necessarily a drug, but it is a gas. So I first encountered Heliox, oh gosh, when was it? I was a pretty new nurse, I think. Um, I had assumed care of a patient with really bad, severe asthma, had had a severe asthma episode. And as the team brought this patient up from the ER, I saw the respiratory therapist pushing this giant, giant cart, and it was like cartoon-sized oxygen tanks. They're just huge. The patient was, you know, had on an oxygen mask that was attached to these giant, giant tanks. And um, I could tell, you know, from my doorway assessment that I talk about, um, that she was working hard to breathe. She was really having to work for every breath. And as I learned later, those giant tanks um, were Heliox. And that was the Heliox that was making the difference for her um, between getting her oxygen therapy and her asthma treated with a mask 
and oxygen and the heliox versus getting on a ventilator. And the next day, she improved enough that she downgraded to like a telemetry floor, something like that. And it was awesome to see. Um, patients with asthma can be very, very sick, very, very difficult to treat. So I was glad to see my first experience with heliox that it worked so well in the patient's favor and she improved so quickly. But I had no idea what it was or why it worked. So I had to look into it and now I wanted to share that information with you guys. So Heliox is a mixture of gases that is actually used. You see it used a lot if you're in diving, um, like a scuba diver. Uh, apparently, it's used in diving. So as the name Heliox suggests, it's a mixture of helium and oxygen. And you guys have all, well, I don't know if you've all done this, but when you're little, maybe when you're an adult too, if you've ever um, inhaled helium and then talked and it's made you talk funny, Super hilarious, right? Well, it's helium basically in these tanks. So since helium is lighter than air, so remember that helium is lighter than air, think about helium balloons, right? They float because they're lighter than the air. So because it is lighter than air, it moves through those constricted bronchioles, those constricted airways more easily than oxygen does. And so it's got the oxygen mixed in with it, right? So it's bringing that in there and it's getting those airways, um, getting to those airways in the way that oxygen alone can not. So a typical gas mixture might be like 21% oxygen and 79% helium. And this will be titrated by the respiratory therapist as the patient improves, then the helium component will come down, okay? So how does Heliox actually help a patient who has a severe asthma episode? So remember, if you haven't learned about asthma yet, you will definitely a lot. But if you have, recall that in asthma, you uh, will be giving the patient bronchodilators like albuterol. And those bronchodilators dilate the bronchioles, right? They help open them up so that the patient can move more air. But in some cases, those airways are really constricted. And the medication itself can't reach where it needs to go. So what do we do when that happens? When this when this happens, we need a way to um, improve delivery of the medication. So this medication, like a bronchodilator, such as albuterol, is administered alongside or in conjunction with this heliox, this oxygen-helium mixture. And because the helium is so light, it can get all the way down into those really tight airways and carry that albuterol along with it, allowing the albuterol or whatever medication they're getting to do its magic. So it was actually used um, way, way back in the olden days as like the way to treat asthma before bronchodilators were even created. It was a way to just get air into those really tight constricted airways. Well, now we get the air down in there, the oxygen down in there, and we get the albuterol or the zopanex or whatever they're getting down in there so that the medication can also work on those bronchioles. So 
An interesting thing that I learned about Heliox is that it's not just used for patients who have asthma. It's actually used in a few other cases as well. So uh, you might see it used in patients who have a large airway obstruction like a tumor. You might see it used in croup or COPD. So um, essentially, it's because that Heliox is easier to breathe. So it's going to reduce work of breathing in your patient, and your patient is then less likely to tire out and um, need an emergent intubation. That's the general idea. You'll also see it used in the delivery of anesthesia. And again, outside the medical field, it's also used in deep sea diving. So it's kind of cool. And it was really neat to see it in use and see it work so well and so quickly in a patient who was clearly having a hard time. And yes, it does make your voice sound really funny. So these patients, um, you do want to assess their ability to speak full sentences depending on the patient, they might be embarrassed to speak. Just let them know that it's completely normal for their voice to sound um, a little off while they're on the Heliox treatment. Okay, so let's say you have a patient who's come, you know, you're taking care of a patient who has asthma and they're on a Heliox for their asthma. How are you going to approach your care of this patient? So one of the things that you want to monitor, of course, with any patient with asthma is their lung sounds. So in patients who have severe asthma, it is very possible to hear no wheezing. And the reason for that is because the airways are too tight. There's not enough air movement to create a wheezing sound. And so that's actually really scary when there's no wheezing and you know your patient is having an asthma episode. So as their airways start to open, you may hear a new wheezing sound. So don't panic. It doesn't mean they didn't have wheezes because they weren't having constricted airways and now they do. It very possibly could mean their airways were so constricted before and now they've opened up a little bit and now we can hear a wheeze. So you just want to be aware of the trend your patient is following and how they look overall. If the, uh, if the, Lung sounds do worsen. Let's say they have a wheeze, okay? And then later they look uh, air hungry. They don't look like they're catching their breath. They look panicked. And you listen and you don't hear any wheezes. It's not that they are faking their asthma attack or that their asthma hasn't gotten worse. It's very likely that it got so bad that they have closed off almost completely and they don't move enough air to cause a wheeze. So just know that wheezing can change based on overconstriction um, to um, opening up of the airways or if the airways are normal, nice and open, and then begin to constrict, then the wheezing will develop them. Okay, you also want to monitor the patient's respiratory effort, their work of breathing. So if your patient gets tired, like breathing with asthma is hard work, you'll see these patients, they're working, that's their full-time job right now, to breathe. So if they get too tired to do that, then they are in very, very bad shape. You're going to watch for things like accessory muscle use, um, and you'll learn about that in detail if you haven't yet as you go through um, assessment course, respiratory assessment course. 
And again, you also want to monitor their ability to speak. Maybe when they first come into the ER, they're able to speak in eight to 10 word sentences. And then later they're speaking in three word sentences. So watching their shortness of breath by how many words they can string together is a quick and easy way to um, kind of tell if they're getting more short of breath. Note that um, if your patient is taking that he, uh, heliox, their voice will be a little bit strange. So just do your best again to establish that relationship of trust so that they feel safe um, with you and can you know, speak in a funny voice so that you can assess their work of breathing, their shortness of breath. Okay, you also will be limiting their activity. Any activity is going to make it um, harder for them to breathe. And it's usually not difficult to limit an asthma patient's activity because they're going to self-regulate that pretty well on their own. Um, but if they get hypoxic and start to get confused, then this is where it can be very challenging. Um, people that are hypoxic and getting that acute confusion will do all kinds of things that defy logic. Um, the thing that a hypoxic patient needs is oxygen and rest. Well, they will do like the exact opposite. They'll be climbing out of bed. They'll be really restless. They'll be taking off their oxygen. So just being very aware of, of that and monitoring your patient's um, activity level and also for signs of agitation that could be related to acute hypoxia. Um, Monitoring for also elevated carbon dioxide levels. So in addition to low oxygen levels, the patient could become hypercapnic. So let's say your patient has been agitated, trying to take off their mask, pulling off their gown, pulling off their leads. You know, they're looking like someone who's got that hypoxic, acute confusion, agitation going on. And then after a while, they're just zonked out in the bed. That does not necessarily mean they're fine and they just got tired and now they're resting and they're breathing okay it looks like so I'm not going to worry. No it's very possible that they now have such high elevated carbon dioxide levels that it has a sedating effect. So if your patient becomes very worn out they're going to start breathing more and more slowly and they're going to retain more and more carbon dioxide. So again, if they were alert or agitated and now they are somnolent and even difficult to um, stimulate and wake up, then you could be very correct in suspecting elevated carbon dioxide levels. So that patient will probably be getting an ABG analysis and some more aggressive respiratory support. Like they may need BiPAP, maybe they need to be intubated. Um, that's something that you would discuss, obviously, with the MD. Okay, you will be getting um, giving them or the respiratory therapist will be giving them nebulized medications. Um, you will definitely, even if the RT, the respiratory therapist, gives them, you still want to monitor the patient's response to the medications. Typically, what will happen is they will have less chest tightness. They will be able to take deeper breaths. They will breathe more easily. And they will be able to speak in longer sentences. And then you can have those conversations with the therapist about weaning the helium component down. So um, it's nice to see people improving. It's very encouraging. You also will probably be keeping this patient NPO. Um, 
If a patient's in respiratory distress, and this is often a safety question on like NCLEX style exams, if a patient is breathing 35 to 40 times a minute, are you going to give them something to eat or drink? The answer is usually no way, Jose, because they are a huge aspiration risk. So that would be considered a safety type question. So most of the time, the patients that are really in respiratory distress, huffing and puffing, working really hard to breathe, very tachypnic, will be NPO for um, safety reasons because their risk of aspiration is so high. Once the patient can, you know, speak in full sentence, has a more normal respiratory rate, then um, you could talk with them about advancing them to, you know, sips of water, et cetera, et cetera. And you also want to plan your teaching for this patient. So um, a lot of patients with asthma will be um, in and out of your hospital a lot. You'll get to know these patients. So you want to really make sure that patients understand the triggers for their asthma. It could be all kinds of things. It could be um, things outside of their control. Like maybe there's maybe they live in California where I do, and there's a lot of wildfires in the summer, and wildfire smoke has caused their asthma attacks. But what if they are allergic to cats and their roommate has a cat? Okay, well, that's a problem. (laughs) Or maybe they have exercise-induced asthma, or maybe um, they just moved into a new apartment and it's got really dusty old carpet, you know, whatever it is. So try to speak to them about what their asthma triggers are and and avoiding those things. And if they're smoking, you know, they need smoking cessation support, all those kinds of things. If you can find ways to work with the patient to help them develop a plan for their asthma uh, attack preventions. And then you also want to make sure that they know how to use their inhalers. So patients will have like rescue inhalers. Sometimes they'll have like prophylactic inhalers. Um, Are they buying their inhalers? Are they taking them with them everywhere, et cetera, et cetera. So just making sure they understand their treatment regimen and that they're being followed by a pulmonologist. So there you go, you guys. That was short and sweet, quick little discussion about a therapy that I find pretty cool. Um, It's so effective and it's so nice to watch someone just over the course of your shift improve so, so dramatically. So next week, I want you guys to come back and we will talk about torch infections. So torch infections are neonatal infections. And we haven't talked about peds in a bit. Well, I guess we talked about peds last week. This will be more of a maternal newborn type topic. So we'll be diving into torch infections. So make sure you come back next week to talk about that. And then we are kind of in what, like the second-ish week of July when this is airing. So I do want to remind you guys, those of you that are um, anticipating Crucial Concepts Bootcamp opening up for enrollment. It will be opening up very soon. Keep your eye on that. I believe in the next week or so um, that will be opening up. There will be some kind of uh, early bird pricing. There will be some kind of bonus. I haven't gotten it all figured out just yet, but there will be something for you. So if you want to get in on that early bird specials, then 
go to my website, straightynursingstudent.com, and click on bootcamp and click on crucial concepts. And then you can sign up to be on the wait list. And everybody on the wait list gets sent an email when the course opens, or maybe even a little bit before. So you know, to get in there, get your early bird deals so that you are good to go. Okay. And I believe that's all I have to say about that. So get on the wait list. If you don't know what Crucial Concepts Bootcamp is, it is a course that I developed a couple of years ago to prepare nursing students to be their absolute best in their nursing school program. So it's for the incoming student to really set you up with the core concepts that will guide you all throughout your nursing school program. It covers seven different modules um, ranging from, let's see, what's the first module? Talk Like a Nurse, I believe, is the first module. And that's about, you know, medical abbreviations, medical terms that you'll be seeing a lot of, how to use SBAR communication. We talked about that last week. If you listened to my episode on the brain sheets and how to take a report using a brain sheet, um, so professional communication, that's all module one. And then there's other modules. There's a whole really intensive module on dosage calculations. There's modules on things to review before school starts, like what things from anatomy and physiology do you really need to review before school starts? I pick the most important ones that will help you. I go through study methodologies how to decipher NCLEX questions, a way to approach your care plans, which is something that a lot of students have trouble with, what to expect in clinical, um, what else? There's just so, so, so much information in there. And so I'm super excited about it. And I definitely want you to be there with me. So check that out. Get on the wait list. I will be announcing the opening of that soon. Otherwise, I will see you back here next week where we talk about torch infections. See you guys then. Bye. This podcast is brought to you by Straight A Nursing. 